Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Last Sunday I ended the service and I think some were suitably impressed they even brought my phone out and I was all very kind of high tech. I ended my service last Sunday by referring to a rapper. Uh, I don't mean somebody works in a sweetie shop and makes up, you know, the boxes or covers them in plastic or whatever. I mean a singer um, who had just won a prize at a music festival competition just the other week, a guy called Dave, uh, a British-Nigerian. Um, who one of his main songs that was the one that kind of caught the attention of the critic was one where he spoke about who will take the pain away. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a series of songs based on an encounter with a psychologist. He, as I read the article, I reminded you that in his family, um, one of his brothers is in prison for 18 years for murdering um, a young man in a railway station in, in London. Another one has just come out of prison for um, embezzlement and fraud. And this young fellow, I think he's 19 or 20, 21, that kind of age, who, whose mom, I believe, has been a very concerned woman, understandably so, and has been trying to ensure that not all our family in the gang scene of South London end up going down that road, has been very supportive of this young fellow. And yet in his desperation, in his songs, he expressed that heart cry, who will take away the pain? Uh, one of the lines is, I prayed, but I hear no voice. I'm not even sure I want to be sane or saved. Well, that was the end of last week's service as we thought of the plight of humanity, spiritually dead by nature. Here is someone else, a very different person. David Cameron, our former prime minister, has just revealed or just released his memoirs. For the record, 732 pages. There we are. If you want something to hold open the door, there you are. There's something that will do it for you. Um, and and the, the, the writer, Quentin Letts, the writer in the Times, um, looking at the book, and there's a very, I mean, it looks very kind of prime ministerial, doesn't it? It looks quite the thing, doesn't it? But it just starts off by saying, what a handsome, house-trained prime minister we had in David Cameron. He stares from the cover of his bulky memoir with his quiff, fresh, clipped eyes azure, a U-blue shirt open at the collar. He looks as fall, flawless as a Bowden, Bowden catalogue model. Now, I'm not very sure. I think that's a high-end. Tr- is it? Is it? Is it? Well, see, you know more about it than me. I just get my stuff at M&S. Um, he looks as flawless as a Bowden catalogue model. Gorgeous. So how did it go wrong for this perfect boy? And then it goes on to talk about his time. I'm not going to go through all of that. It talks about how power does not humble or excite or daunt David Cameron. From the moment he enters number 10, he feels strangely at ease. He shows little curiosity about what power does to other leaders. And then it talks about Europe and everything else um, and all the things to do with that. And then it goes on to say, just towards the end, it says, um, the book has two holes. He was known to be an occasional churchgoer, but there is no mention of spirituality, nor contemplation of mortality, or of a higher authority. After the death of his disabled son, Ivan, remember that happened before he came to office, which he describes movingly, there is nothing but darkness for him and his family. What a sad and powerful 
phrase. The second hole concerns his political motivation. Why did he choose politics? We're not told of any um, Damascan moment in his youth. His constituency's problems are largely farmed out to his agent in Whitney. Politics is public service, but the public are oddly absent. And that really explains the Cameron paradox. Had he only stayed closer to popular will, he might have survived, and today's upheavals might have been averted. Can I say, and this has not been party political, that statement, those descriptions describe Britain today. Spiritually blind, nothing but darkness, and very little real understanding, frankly, of why we're here and what we're about. And can I suggest to you that is a very different, taken from a very different picture than a, a rapper in South London involved in gang warfare, but nonetheless that's a picture, a very middle class, upper middle class, very respectable, very presentable, very genuine and sincere in many ways, but that is another picture, another insight into what Paul means when he says that human beings by nature are spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. And so let's turn to look to what, again, to what Paul has to say from Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, back to, back to this book and this letter this morning. You'll be glad to know my sermon isn't about David Cameron or about Mr. Corbyn or about any of them. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's read the whole of the section together. Paul writing to these Christians to this city, there, there was real growth of the gospel where many congregations were formed, where Paul had spent much time preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ um, through all the different stratas of society, from those who were the movers and shakers of society and those who were on the very fringes of society. And so, God had built and brought together a people for Himself. We'll think more about that next Sunday. But here in these verses, this is what He says, "'As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath or object of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with them in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. And may God indeed bless to our hearts and minds the reading and the reflecting of God's Word. 
as I say, we made emphasis last Sunday, and perhaps maybe some of us found it was overly emphasis on the realities of the human condition. But just paint it this way. If you were not feeling well, and you went to a doctor or even got through and saw a consultant, and you met with a professional person, you would want to know that that doctor or that consultant, that professional person, knew what they were about, that they had insight and understanding as to the human condition that you were in, that they're able to diagnose it accurately and clearly, not vaguely and with some sort of wishful thinking. You really wouldn't, if you were honest enough, you really wouldn't want to go to see someone who would pat you on the head and say, don't worry, take a couple of paracetamol and you'll be okay. And the sad reality is that sometimes, I have to say, under great pressure, under great pressure, our medical profession sometimes even do that. They've got such a cure people outside, and so many people sometimes, unfortunately, are of the doctors, when frankly they should be at home just looking after themselves. There's such an overwhelming pressure that it's tempting for the doctor perhaps to just say that, take a couple of paracetamols, or just even before you finish telling your story, they've written a prescription, and they pass it over the counter, and you've got some pills to pop. Interesting enough, did you hear this morning that Zantac has been taken off the counters in America and the United States because there's a connection between it and the cancer of the stomach? Panned out the pills and hope it goes away. No, that's not what you want. You want someone who can see through and accurately come to a diagnosis of your condition so that then they can prescribe a treatment or offer some answer to the situation you're in. And you know, my friends, and I emphasize this, we're talking about spiritual death. We're not talking, people can do great deeds. People can do great works. People can be very kind and loving, as a little leaflet I put out last Sunday with intubation um, sheet said. It doesn't mean that everybody is depraved in the sense that they're running about doing really, really bad things. When the Bible, and here Dr. Paul, in a sense, is bringing God's diagnosis. When the Bible speaks of this, he's speaking about a spiritual reality. That breath of life that was breathed into humanity at the dawn of creation has been deadened. It has, been, it has lost its vibrancy of life because of original sin, because of what took place in the Garden of Eden. And because in truth, all of us, as Paul tells us, are sinners, because all of us, by nature, want to have I at the center of who we are and what we're about, rather than worshiping the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and might, and having no other God before Him. That was the commandments, the first two commandments. I'm the king of the castle, and you and God are dirty wee rascals, unless you fit into what I want or what I hope to have. Paul here is therefore quite extremely but clearly emphasizing that that is the plight of the human heart without Christ. And that should, as I said last Sunday, trouble our souls. It should give us a deeper awareness of the spiritual need of our family and friends but it should also make us aware that we can't bring someone back from the dead. I still remember years ago in my first church, 
I had many funerals then. Elizabeth became best friends, really, on the phone with the, the lady. What was her name? Margaret, was it? I think it was Margaret, the co-op in Toe Cross. She was never off the phone. <laughs> never off the phone. She chatted away. I think when we left after nine and a half years, we actually went to visit her. I think you came along. This is the woman we've been talking to for the last nine and a half years, you know. Um, and so I had many funerals. Now, but I got up to about 90-odd one year. Yes, if they'd gone on like this, there'd be nobody left in Carmel to bury. Um, <laughs> But, but I remember one in particular, and the, the fellow had died, and he wasn't old, he was my age. And, and the poor woman was distraught. Poor woman was distraught. The widow was distraught. And at the funeral service, she, she jumped over. There's a, if you've been at Daldawi Crematorium, there's a, there's a kind of wooden front of a pew, really. And she jumped over that, and she ran up to the, the coffin, and she grabbed hold of it, and I can't remember what the poor man's name was. Say it was Jim. I can't remember. Or no, say it was Ian. Say it was Ian. Ian, he said, Ian, Ian, come back, come back. And literally, she shook, I mean, it was quite a big cough. She shook that cough and was screaming at the top of her voice, come back. And even if we don't do that, even if we don't do that, I know that there's many of us sitting here this morning that would have loved to have grabbed hold of the person, our loved one, and cried out, come back. Come along. And yet we can shout as loud as we want to. We can weep as deeply as our soul demands. And yet we cannot bring the data back to life. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it's that glorious gospel of hope that stands at the heart of the Christian faith. Let's sing together a song that invites us above all the noise of the world, all our hopes and dreams, to hear that call of Christ and the voice of Jesus in our ears. Interesting enough, the comment the critic or the or writing about David Cameron's book emphasizes that faced with a whole host of things, including particularly, and I'm not going to into all of that, obviously, because we hear enough about Brexit, but a whole situation with Brexit, he came to a point, actually, seemingly according to the book, where he just felt like thrown up his hands and just, what can we do? What can we do? Well, faced with the reality of the human condition, then we are meant to come to the point of waving up our hands and saying, what can I do? We are meant to come to a point where we become aware. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. As John tells us in his gospel, the Holy Spirit will come and convict us of our sinful state, of our need of a Savior. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes. My friends, be careful. You can never argue or cudgel or Bible bash anyone into believing. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to see our condition. Things have got really dire in the man's household since my oldest son have left. Do you know what happened last night? <laughs> Elizabeth and I were watching, reduced to watching Casualty. <laughs> Gregor's just, he's away, he's out enjoying himself. We're stuck at home, Darby and Joan. And, and as he controlled, Colin controlled the buttons, 
So we thought, we better just watch this, you know. That's, that's a sad state. And there was a story. Anybody else watch Casualty? Yes, join us. Oh, there's quite a few of you, all right. Join us in our dissipations. Uh, and, and, and there was a storyline there was that this guy who had noticed this thing. That, now, I tell you, I tell you, we've got doctors in the house today, so I know we're well equipped. But I'm not too bad because right at the beginning, I said about that heavy built fellow with a sore leg, he's got, a, he's got a clot in his leg. And is that not the condition? Is that not right? My diagnosis would prove true. You can't see Nick after the service. Come and see me. Yes. I will refer you to him for a second opinion. <laughs> but you see, he just ignored it. Ignored it. Hope it would go away. My friends, don't let this reality disappear. It will not go away. It is a life-threatening condition. And the ultimate reality is if it isn't dealt with, there will be death. And I don't just mean passing from this earthly existence, but there will be spiritual death for eternity. That's hell. And Paul says, No, this is what God has done. Out of his rich mercy, he's made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And Paul here has in mind the, the literal realities of what happened with Jesus. His death, but his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, now in glory, seated at the right hand of the Father on high. And he takes these realities, that's why it's right within the life of the church, we should mark these seasons and these events in our liturgy. Because it's in these great events that we're confronted with the power of God that can do what no human can ever do. He can conquer death. He can bring you life. He can recreate and restore and renew. And he does that. How does he do it? He does it in Christ Jesus. Notice how continually he talks about that. Been raised up with Christ. The heavenly realms in Christ, has made us alive with Christ, and has expressed His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. That's why it's vital that He is at the very center of what we're about. And that's how it's so disastrous when churches or traditions demote or in some way take away from the uniqueness of who Jesus is, the one who said, as Karen reminded us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. And notice what he's saying. He's saying that the God who, because of his great love and mercy, this is the God that we come to deal with, a God who is holy, a God who cannot countenance sin. I again remember, thank God for pastoral experience, I have to say, that I remember a dear lady in my last church, Julie McCann. Do you remember Julie McCann? Some of you remember, the folks from St. Margaret's might remember Julie, a dear Christian lady come to faith in my predecessor's ministry when her husband had died. And she had a son, a son that she loved well, mums and their boys, you know. And the poor lad, I, I've told this story before, so I'm afraid after 30 years you start to have to repeat yourself, you know. And, 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 and he had been blighted with addiction. 
and, and had taken hold of him, completely alcoholism. And, and, and she eventually, and taking the advice of Al-Anon and all the different things, and because of what it was doing to her and of how in many ways she'd become an enabler and, and, and basically helped him because she thought by helping him, by giving him money and all the other things that she did, she would somehow help him to stop him. But he didn't want to stop it. He wanted to carry on, unfortunately. And the thing that he had given into then took him over and made the, meant that he couldn't stop. So what did she do? She could no longer see him. She could no longer have anything to do with him. Was it because she hated her son? No. She deeply loved him. But she hated with all her heart what she now saw of what alcoholism had done to him. And so, in a sense, she sent me to be the mediator, to be the interconnector. And I still remember going to visit him in South Carantine, a tenement block that's now gone. I've told you before, I parked my car outside. I'd pinched, I had my car pinched outside of my manse in Mount Vernon. There we are. That's why the folk from Mount Vernon want to come out to, to Bothwell, Lundingson. Uh, but you know, I had a car stolen, so I had a wee Fiat Panda. And I parked it outside this tenement block in South Carondine. And what did the boys say? Oh, mister, when you leave my car there, they'll steal it. They'll take the wheels off. And I said, a panda? And they said, there's still a ladder here that could get their hands on it. <laughs> and I went up the stairs to see this man in his early 30s. Yellow. His liver failure. Lying in a filthy settee. And in some small way, his apparent. I could understand why Julie couldn't bear to see him. Because she loved him. And she hated what she now would have seen before him. Her eyes. And the God who loves his creation so much hates to see, and I use that word, strong word, to see what the eye of sin has done, even the most respectable person. And so he sent a mediator. Thank God it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. And in him, in him, he offers us that life, that forgiveness that saves us from condemnation, brings us from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, and lifts us up. There was a song, wasn't it? Love lifts me up. Well, it does. And not just in the way that the world speaks about it, and love does, stir our souls, and gives us a you, you know. I could see that the day of my son's wedding. I have to say, it seems strange for me, I have to say, but my son, it looked as if he was in love does do that. But that's just a taste. That's just a pointer. That's just a, a passing thing, unfortunately, because however much we love, our loved ones go. But that's a pointer to what the love of God does in Jesus Christ. What does John tells us? This is love. Not that we first love God, but that He first loved us and sent His Son to be the means by which our sins can be forgiven, the atonement for our sins. 
And as Jesus was raised from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father on high, so Paul tells us that in Christ and only in Christ can those who are spiritually dead be made alive, be given a new life, a new meaning, a new purpose, which we'll come to in a few minutes and have that promise that the last will be raised. To be with him in glory. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I have gone to prepare a place for you. And when I've gone to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me in glory. This is what Jesus does. He is the physician of the soul. He's the savior of the lost. He's the life giver the dead. Oh, the mercy of God. The glory of grace that you chose to redeem us, to forgive and restore, and you call us your children chosen in Him to be holy and blameless to the glory of God. And we'll stand to sing. I was getting ready for coming out to the evening refresh on Wednesday evening, doing the dishes, doing the dishes, and my phone buzzed, and it was a message from Damien. Remember Damien, the Polish guy? Uh, we hadn't heard from him for a few weeks. I knew he was going over to Poland to a family wedding over there, and I was also very conscious that the last time I'd been down, which was the week before Colin's wedding, and we had spoken about a whole host of things. I'd even gone online, as I was telling the guys on Thursday night, found out about his Warsaw football team. Now, you know me. I was going to say two left feet, but I don't know what, you know, but uh, you know, the first thing I know about football, but I went on to find out about that, and even about skydiving, not because I'm thinking of taking up, but he likes to do that, um, and if we're going to relate to people and understand people, we've got to know what they're interested in, haven't we? Yes, we don't just, even the minister can't just stay in a wee holy bubble. But after we'd talked that time, we'd sat down, this is before, the, the, before this in August, we sat down beside Buttermere Lake, we'd gone for a walk, and, 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 and he was talking, I said, well, you need to say to God, if you, you know, make yourself real. And so we sat at the side of the, the lake, and he said, God, make yourself real. Amen. And, and I prayed with him or for him, and then we sat there. And, and he kind of looked at me and said, well, what happens next? <laughs> and then really very movingly. It was a walkway, obviously, down the but a very it's like Soho Street on a Saturday afternoon, at least the way it used to be on a Saturday afternoon, uh, the Lake District, and, but suddenly, nobody was there. Suddenly, there was no cars on the road on the other side of the lake. Suddenly, the wind that had been blowing, wasn't as strong, but the wind that blowing went still, and the lake became like glass. And there was a sound of the peace of God. Be still and know that I am God. And I left it. Texted him a couple of times, but just left it. Well, Wednesday night, phone buzzed. Hiya, I'm in Glasgow. 
And so the long and the short it was, he'd been at the wedding, he'd come back, he was, he'd found he was going to stay in the hostel, but after all, you go to all the trouble of providing with, him, with us a man so that I've got a spare bedroom, so what can you do? It's meant to be for the waifs and strays and the, stray, the past the door. So I said, you're looking for accommodation, you're welcome to stay. So he came, didn't he? And he turned up, I said, well, I need to go just now and get you, and we turned up at the, the midweek meeting. And the folks were encouraged, I know, to see him. And he was very encouraged as he saw just ordinary folks sitting around the table, talking about the Lord. And at the end, anybody asked for prayer, made a prayer that God would take away the, 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 the things that, are, that his senses are hindering him from believing. And he and others prayed for him. And we met back to the mansion, we just chatted about everything. We had, the, we had the atlas out trying to find out where he lives in Poland and all that kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah. And we went to bed, he went to bed, blah, blah. And the next morning, we went for a walk and walking along beside what we saw, Bodwell Castle, tell you what a price, and there's not much you can see now, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> um, and then we walked along the banks of the Clyde and suddenly, just out of the blue, he said, what are the things that kind of stop them? So we went through various things, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I thought, well, and I had no sense that this was really what was stopping. And then he said, you know, he said, in Poland, he said, we're told when we're at school from the very youngest days that we mustn't ask anything for mending, that we must be self-contained, that we must be, well, we can understand that. Poland's a country that's had a long history. You know, the Russians on one side and the Germans on another. I mean, let's be honest, you know, no disrespect, but, you know. So you can see why that's put into the young people. But he said, you know, it makes it very difficult for me to have to say, I need help. And we got down to the River Clyde, down to the railway bridge, and to the other bridge that crosses the River Clyde. And you might notice the Clyde there is quite, you know, there's, the water moves. It's not just a wee kind of pond. And I said, you know, could you swim? Because he's a very keen, fit kind of guy. And he said, could you swim over to the other side? And he looked at it and said, mm. he said, I wouldn't get over there. I'd get. I said, well, that's exactly the point. I said, we can't get over to God, however fit we might think we are. How do we get to the other side? And literally, as we walk round the tree, I, you, of course, I, you'd answer. There was the bridge that we could walk over, just as this Carol did. And I could see, just see the glimpse of the truth of what God has done in Jesus Christ shining into his soul. So he sent me a text later on, said it was lovely to meet Elizabeth and the family. They found others in a place of real blessing. <laughs> Didn't use that word, but that's what he meant. And he's coming back. So he might be here some Sunday. It takes three years, we were told on Wednesday at the minister's conference. It can take three years. How they work this out, I don't know. Three years from Sunday first having a first encounter with the gospel, with church, with Christianity, and coming to real faith. It's in God's hands, God's timing, but God is at work making someone who was dead alive. And I know this morning that's true. I think actually it's true for all of us and most of us, but particularly this morning it's true for some who more recently have discovered that. Look what God does. Look what God's plan is. That in the coming ages, verse 7, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Just a wee point to illustrate that. Um, we watch a, a program on television um, where people bring in their paintings and, and, and they think they've got a masterpiece of some sort. 
and they then go on a research. What's it called? I can't remember. I can't, well, they go on a research anyway, and they find an interesting. In that, it's a very good program. It's, it's, it, no, and in the interest, what happens is you actually forget about the actual picture. That's almost, by the way, whether it's a man beside a plow or a picture or a. That's by the way. What becomes more important is who? Artist. Is it really done by this artist? Because if it is, well, if it's Joe Bloggs at the Barras one Saturday afternoon, well, you know. And that's what God's intent is. That his work of grace within our lives at the end of time will be such that when people look at you, me, his people, the people that he has bought with the price of his blood of his own son, that the angels, the angels' creation will gaze at wonder and say, look what God has done. The great artist, the great creator, the one who paints the beauty of his glory and the handiworks of heaven, that is his purpose for you and me and for his people that in the ages to come, His glorious kindness and mercy will be revealed in us. If that's not something to stir you, to encourage you, and yes, to challenge you this Sunday morning, nothing else is. That's God's great building project. His great restoration scheme is to take a fallen, sinful humanity, folks like us, and to reveal His kindness and grace in our lives and in our living. So that, here and now, people might see your good works and give praise to God above. That our salt and light will shine and will impact in the society in which we live. And it goes on to say, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It begins and ends with God's initiative and God's work. The Holy Spirit that comes that convicts us of our sins is the Holy Spirit who also comes and points us to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit also comes that enables us to believe in Christ. It's all of God. There's no room for pious pride or exaltation from beginning to end. It's the work of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a purpose for our lives. That's one of the great liberating things I think our society, especially of young people in our society, and that's why that's why Karen does the work we do, and that's why Elizabeth and Gregor and others do the work to connect and all the rest of it in a society where there's cynicism, where there's bewilderment and confusion, where people look round for leadership, and there's all these voices of the world claiming to be the answer to this, that, and other, and yet there's emptiness and loneliness and addictions and everything else in such a spiritually and morally bankrupt society, we need to say that you know how you can discover why you're here and what you're about? It's by having our living relationship with the living God, the Creator. For He is the one who are, we are His handiwork. We are the result of His labors. We are made and remade in Jesus Christ for Him for His purposes. And until and unless we understand that, then we're like the people of Israel, wandering in the wilderness, knowing neither which way we should turn. That's what 
grace does. The old gospel hymn, old redemption hymn, love lifted me. Do you remember it? Yes? Well, let me, no, I'm going to sing it to you. <laughs> let me, just came to mind there as I was speaking. Let me, let me read to you the words. It's an old redemption hymn, but I still, I've told you many a time, still remember. Let's sing, love lifted me. I was sinking deep in sin, isn't it? That's the first line. Yes, it was. I still remember, I've told you that, one of the things that influenced me was as a young lad, really, going to the mission home, Coe Hill Street, the Carantine, well, not the Carantine, in the Gallagate, and seeing these, well, let's say, it wasn't the freshest of atmospheres. It wasn't just the tea that was being stewed through in the kitchen. There was no health and safety hygiene regulations in those days. It wasn't the health of that. Seeing these rather old people, they actually weren't old, they just had had very hard lives in the 60s and 70s. And yet, they could testify that God's grace had lifted them. Let me get the words of this, if I can, and read it to you. I can't find it, and I'll find it later and read it to you when we're having the offering. Love lifts up. Do we really? Do we really? really? I have to say this to my own heart as much to anyone Do we really this morning just thank God for His grace? We were at the conference, minister's conference. I fell off a ladder and landed in the, the, a cold frame on Monday evening. I was cleaning the gutters. I've been getting nagged for getting the gutters cleaned outside. At rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> There's always two sides to the story. You mentioned, you mentioned a drip, and I thought she was talking about me. <laughs> but it was from the gutters. And I went up the low, not the high, not the roof ones. And I went and ended up the cold frame. So I couldn't go. I, I wasn't really, didn't feel very great on Tuesday morning. So on Wednesday I went through, and actually just the speaker there, very, very able, intellectually far more able man than I am, referred us to this verse from Ephesians. We'll touch upon more next Sunday, but just as we close these verses. Ephesians 2 and verse 18, it says, For through Christ we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Let me read to you again. For through Christ we both have access, that means Jews and Gentiles, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And you know what he said? He was speaking on, on patterns of leadership. And you know what he said? He said, if ever a leader, that verse and that truth is not enough for you, then nothing ever will be. That through Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we've got access to God, to the Creator. That is amazing, isn't it? I hope it is. Or else we of all men and women are the most to be pitied. That is amazing grace that the creator of heaven, the vastness of the universe, should so purpose that in Jesus Christ he should be in grace and in mercy call you and me into a living relationship. That's what God has done. And if we really know that, then the rest of our lives will be spent in glad service of Him. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's sing together. 966 is in the mission praise. Wonderful grace that gives what I don't deserve, pays me what Christ has earned, then lets me and we'll stand to sing this as our offering is brought forward.
Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.